have a sort of baseline posture of skepticism toward pastors and spiritual leaders. I know some of these people. It's just baked in. There's just a skepticism that's naturally there. Some have been mistreated by pastors and spiritual leaders or seen others mistreated in these kinds of ways. And consequently, their trust in anyone in a position of spiritual leadership is compromised. So there could be different reasons uh, or inclinations that cause a person to be hesitant to give their trust to pastors or spiritual leaders. Lord knows we've seen and heard no shortage of stories of mistreatment and abuse by pastors and spiritual leaders in our day. God has some frightfully strong words for Christian leaders who abuse their position. We heard some of them in Ezekiel chapter 34 earlier. There's a whole bunch more than that. But whatever the case, whatever the reason uh, that, that there may be this suspicion, whatever the case, the health and growth of a church hinge substantially on this relationship. That is the relationship between pastors and members. So I want to observe or make a note here that uh, in line with historic Baptist uh, 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 tradition and understanding, I regard the New Testament use of the terms elder, overseer, and shepherd, which is where pastor comes from, uh, as interchangeable, referring to the one and same office of what we often call elder. Elder, pastor, overseer, those are the same function, the same office, all right? Uh, the upshot of that is that while I am uh, a paid staff elder, uh, the other men who serve this church as lay elders, that is non-staff elders, occupy the same office as I do in CF, all right? So uh, in other words, you don't have one pastor and six elders. You have seven elders or seven pastors, Either one is a proper and biblical way to speak of that. So everything I will say in this message regarding how you ought to relate to your pastors will be equally applicable to all of the men who have been or will be appointed as elders at Cross Point. So I just want that to be clear up front. There are not classes among elders. There's elders or pastors, okay? I also want to point out that uh, there are two paragraphs in our church covenant that have direct bearing on this. So the church is an accountable people, and two of those paragraphs say, one, that the church is led and leadable, right? So that speaks of those who are in positions of leadership, those who God has appointed as leaders and shepherds and guides for the church, and it speaks of the posture of the congregation as being leadable, Right? It's one thing to lead, it's another to be led. And the church needs to be both of those things. It needs to be led by a qualified plurality of men who serve as pastors and also as deacons. And we have staff members who serve a lot of these kinds of functions. But the church also must be able to be led, right? The church, uh, the congregation must have a, a posture of leadability. The other paragraph in our covenant that's relevant here is that the church is taught and teachable. Okay, so it's not just a guy up here blathering on endlessly Sunday after Sunday. It should be a congregation of saints gathered around the word of God, eagerly listening and hearing and receiving and responding. So there is both teaching and teachability that are necessary components of 
the life of a, a, a healthy congregation. And both of those things are in our church covenant. So when you, are, when you become a member or when you recommit as a member, you are saying, I agree to live under the leadership that's in place at the church and be leadable and be teachable. Those are two of the statements that you make as a member of Crosspoint Fellowship. But the word is far from silent on instructions and warnings for the pastor, as I've already kind of alluded to. This is not a one-sided relationship. It's not a get in line and do what you're told sort of a thing. And so God has provided guidance for both those under spiritual authority and those in positions of spiritual authority. If the church is to be healthy, both of those aspects of church life must be working properly, to use the language of Ephesians 4.16. So the verse we'll look at and focus on today, yes, it's one verse, is Hebrews 13.17. Hebrews 13.17. Now, Hebrews is 12 chapters chock full of theology and how Christ and his new covenant is superior to what came before it. And so he's opened this new and living way. And then the last chapter of Hebrews is very practical. Here is how this stuff gets lived out among the family of God. Here is Hebrews 13, 17. One expression, one application of all of the gospel theology that's been expounded so far. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here's the main idea. If you're writing down what is the main point of this message, here it is. Church health depends on a vital two-way relationship. Attentive pastors and responsive members. Attentive pastors and responsive members. Church health depends on a vital two-way relationship. Attentive pastors and responsive members. I'm going to take that somewhat backwards from how the verse is actually laid out and talk first about attentive pastors. It begins with a command, and the command is to the church member. But rather than start there, we're going to start with the shape of pastoral ministry as we see it in this verse and a few other places as well. So what do attentive pastors do? Number one, attentive pastors keep watch over your souls. That's just using the same language of Hebrews 13. Not stating that in a clever way, just drawing it out. What do attentive pastors do? They keep watch over your souls. Now, one thing I want you not to miss is that pastors alone are entrusted with this kind of soul-watching care over Christ's people. No one else in your life has been charged in the same way with watching your soul. That is the task of a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, which means this is pretty important. It's pretty important for you as an individual follower of Jesus to have those in your life who are charged with watching over your soul. 
What does this soul watching entail? What What does that mean, that pastors are watching, keeping watch over your souls? Well, I love the way that Timothy Whitmer summarizes this in his book, The Shepherd Leader. He says there's four components to soul watching, knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. Those are the four categories of pastoral soul watching, right? We, we must know, shepherds must know the sheep. Shepherds must feed the sheep. Shepherds must lead the sheep, and shepherds must protect the sheep. And all of those things happen on both a corporate level and an individual level. Shepherds need to know the flock. What, what are the particular strengths, weaknesses, hang-ups in this particular flock of God's people, right? What are the tendencies in this congregation? A a shepherd needs to know that. What are are the ways that this church really needs encouragement and guidance and help? What are the ways where this church is really batting a thousand and knocking it out of the park and praise God for those sorts of things, right? So pastors need to know the church at that broad level. But pastors are also charged with knowing individual sheep. We need to know the the state, the status of the individual members of the church, which has all kinds of implications for how church life operates and how a church is organized and even the size of a church. This is not to say that a big church is a bad church, but it does mean the, the larger a church gets, the more necessary it will be for that church to get organized down into smaller pieces that are overseen by men who have this charge to keep watch over souls. That doesn't necessarily mean that every pastor needs to know every member at exactly the same level, the same degree. That's not really humanly possible, right? But if there's a group of pastors in our church, there's seven of us all together, two of whom are on sabbatical. So if you've got five active elders, among the five of us, there should not be any member of the body who is out of sight, out of mind, who is unknown. Oh, I have no idea what's going on with that person. You know, faithful shepherding, faithful soul watching means we've got to know people at that level, at that individual kind of level. You can imagine that takes time and work and intentionality. We feed, shepherds feed the sheep. This has mostly to do with the teaching responsibility of giving you God's word. So there's an obvious corporate application here. When the church gathers, we feed on God's word, and the shepherds are bringing to you God's word. But there's also individual components of that. As we meet in private conversations or or groups of two or three, there's there's smaller applications of, of God's word where I see what's going on in your life and I ought to be able to speak God's word into that situation. And so there's a, a macro level, corporate level teaching, and there's the individual level teaching going on as well. The same thing with leadership. We lead the church collectively. Here's where we're going as a church. And we provide guidance and instruction and leadership in individuals' lives. Here's what I believe perhaps the Word of God would call you to do. Or spiritual wisdom might look like this in your situation. And the same thing with protecting. We protect the church from false doctrine and and deceptive uh, ideologies that might creep into the church. And we do that in individual conversations with people as well, knowing the particular challenges, the particular ditches that a person uh, might fall into. And so we protect both corporately and individually. So 
This is the work of soul watching. It's not easy. It's not fast. It's not efficient. It takes time and intentionality and care. And dare I say, it takes learning. It takes systems to do this well. I want to take you over to 1 Peter chapter 1, going, continuing to flesh out this soul-watching aspect. First, not chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter exhorts the elders among this church where he's writing. 1 Peter 5, beginning of verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's great reward in faithful pastoral ministry, but it is no small task. How do shepherds, how do pastors, elders lead their people and exercise oversight, not by mere authority, but by example? That's what he calls pastors to here. Not domineering over those in your charge. I'm the guy in charge. This is what I say. Therefore, this is what you will do. That's not the right posture of a pastor. No, a pastor leads mostly by example, by teaching, and by modeling. That's, that, those are the best tools in a pastor's toolbox when it comes to leading the church. Teaching and modeling. In fact, Hebrews 13, verse 7 about 10 verses earlier, says, uh, remember your leader's way of life and imitate them. Right? That, so the, the very leaders that you're supposed to be obeying and submitting to in verse 17, he's called you just a few verses earlier to watch them and to emulate them. That's some of the, the best ways that pastors can lead their people is not by stomping their foot, pounding the pulpit, and insisting on their way because they've got the title but by lovingly, patiently teaching and modeling and inviting people to come along. That's the, that's the way of pastoral leadership. Another verse that I love to think about, I often think about this as a pastor, is Galatians 4.19. expresses so well the, the burden of a pastor who's really laboring in the soul-watching work. Paul speaks there uh, of this this labor and he says my little children speaking to this church my little children for whom i am again in the anguish of childbirth until christ is formed in you what is he interested in he's interested in the spiritual formation of his people the spiritual well-being and growth in christian maturity is the pastor's chief concern we're much less interested in how fast we're adding new people to the congregation or how much money is gathering in our bank account or what, how, what, what kind of numerics we can report to the convention so we can get celebrated for this great year or whatever. We're much more interested in the spiritual health, the spiritual growth of the people 
in our charge, the sheep of Jesus Christ that have been entrusted to our care. And so attentive pastors keep watch over your souls. That's the main work that pastors and elders should be doing. Now there's, there is a necessary sort of irreducible administrative component to pastoral work, but it's always a fight to keep that at bay so that the administrative stuff doesn't crowd out the shepherding stuff. So I'm being a little bit transparent here with you just to say your elders are wrestling with that, always. And we'll find ourselves going, man, our agenda has too many administrative things on it. We need to get that off so that we can be shepherding, right? We need to be spending more time with people so that we're not just thinking about working on the church, right? But working in the church. And so that's a, that's a constant burden for elders and pastors who desire to be obedient to this charge, to shepherd, to keep watch over the souls of the people in our care. The second thing to say about attentive pastors that comes from this verse is that they will give an account for their people. And frankly, I could say this about any pastor, not even just attentive ones. Inattentive pastors will also have to give an account. This is another one of those things that keeps pastors up at night if they really understand the work. They really understand the calling of being a pastor, the notion that I'm going to give an account for the people that are under my leadership and care is serious business, is a heavy weight. Why, why would we give an account? Why would pastors have to give an account to anybody about the people? Well, the obvious fact is because the sheep aren't theirs. This is not my church any more than it's Mark's church or Morris's church or Bill's church or Terry's church. This is not our church. This is Christ's church. You are his people. You are his sheep. You're not ours. And so the pastors are stewards of the flock that belongs to Jesus Christ. So we give an account at the end of our days because they're not our sheep. They're his sheep. So we're going to stand before the chief shepherd and give an account for all of those who have been under our care. This is further validated by that verse we just read in 1 Peter 5 too. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Right? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's his flock, but it's where you've been placed as an under-shepherd. The flock is God's, but he's entrusted them to shepherds in local sheepfolds. This is how the Lord has seen fit to shepherd his people through the stewardship of fallible but faithful pastors in local churches who know, feed, lead, and protect them throughout their earthly sojourn. That's how God has decided to shepherd his people. To whom will this account be given? The chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and answer for our deeds, whether good or bad, right? But pastors, elders, will, ask, will answer a different set of questions that you won't have to answer. Talk to me about the souls that were entrusted to your care. 
talk to me about the members of the church where you were appointed as an overseer. Did they make it? I think it's at that level, right? The job of a shepherd is to make sure that the sheep all make it safely to where they're supposed to go. Where are you going? To heaven. You're getting to the kingdom. That's the whole point. So shepherds, pastors, should be safely, faithfully guiding the sheep until they make it there. So when I stand before Jesus one day, he's going to ask me, did all the sheep that were under your care make it here? Not because he doesn't know. Of course he knows. But nevertheless, pastors are to give an account Nineteenth-century Scottish pastor John Brown wrote a letter. He was aging; he was an older man, and he had been training this young pastor. And so he wrote a letter to him. He had been placed in perhaps a small congregation, and so he writes to him. He says, "I know the vanity of your heart, and that you will feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you." Yes, pastors still struggle with the comparison game. We're not immune to that. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. No pastor who really understands the calling, who really understands the responsibility of shepherding souls and giving an account is eager for a huge church. A small church is fine. This will do. There are plenty of souls here for whom I am responsible before the Lord. Attentive pastors keep watch over your souls and they will give an account for their people. This is the work of a pastor. This is the context in which they carry out their labors weighty as it is so that's about half the verse and the other half of the verse is about you and indeed it starts with an exhortation to you so if that's what attentive pastors are doing and how they're supposed to go about their work what are responsive members to do number one responsive members follow their pastor's leadership pastors is a plural there pastor's apostrophe responsive members follow their pastor's leadership Tabidi Anyobile has a little book called what is a healthy church member and he says this the health of a local church may ride exclusively on the membership's response to the church's leadership how the congregation receives or rejects its leaders has a direct effect on the possibilities of faithful ministry and church health. Now, he says it may depend only on that. We know there are other factors. A church that's led by men who are unqualified and who are doing damage, that's a different, that's not on you in that sense, right? But it could be that the single most important dynamic in the health of a church is how the congregation responds to and follows the leadership of its pastors. And so, with all of that stuff we just talked about, in mind, with, with the awareness that your pastors are laboring earnestly for your spiritual well-being, 
and that they're carrying the weight of accountability to Christ for their work, church members ought to maintain a general posture of responsiveness and trust toward them. And trust at the end of the day is not fully earned. It's always a gift. There are certainly things you can do to breach trust and to unearn trust, but at the, basic, at the basis of a relationship, there's a gift of trust. And you're trusting more in God than you are in us to say, These are the, this is the church where God's placed me. These are the men God has placed over me. And so in trust of God, I will entrust myself to these men. There's a, past, there's a posture of responsiveness and trust. And that looks like a few things. As your pastors teach you God's word, you should receive their preaching as an authoritative means of divine grace in your life. The right preaching of the word is an authoritative matter. This is where Christ speaks and rules this church in the preaching of the word. That doesn't mean I can't get it wrong. That doesn't mean that my word is authoritative. It means that God's word is authoritative. So to the extent that it is rightly handled and rightly presented, it is authoritative in the life of the church and of individual Christians. If your elders exhort you or provide you particular instruction, you should take their counsel seriously. If they admonish you for some perceived shortcoming, you should receive it with humility as a gift, of God, a gift of God's grace to you, rather than with defensiveness or dismissiveness. What does he know? If they lead the church corporately in a particular direction, you should generally follow their leadership with a spirit of glad cooperation. Now, of course, none of that means that your pastors will do all of these things perfectly. We won't. We haven't. We won't always be right in our opinions or our judgments. We might lead an initiative or an effort that proves unfruitful. And we'll look back and go, well, that was a misstep. That happens. So the call to obey and submit to your leaders is not an absolute obedience or an absolute submission. Indeed, the only one to whom you owe absolute obedience is Jesus Christ himself. There is no other absolute obedience or submission that you owe. Not to a spouse, not to a government, not to anybody. Now, there are, so there are boundaries within which we must live. And the general call here, the general posture to which he calls Christians in a local church is live gladly under the leadership and authority of your pastors. God's word here exhorts you as church members to receive the leadership of your pastors, both individual leadership, like when they lead you personally, and corporately, when they're leading the entire church in a direction. Receive the leadership of your pastors as the Lord's guidance in your life. There's a sense of just trusting in the sovereignty and providence of God here. This is the church where God has placed me. These are the men God has placed in leadership. So I think God wants me to follow them. Kent Hughes summarizes well here. Slavish, blind obedience is not called for here, but a respectful, submissive spirit is. Such ought to be one's first impulse when the leader and the people are right with God. Such churches will sail well because all hands will be coordinated to point the ship in a single direction. But the 
pastors and elders are trying to lead one way, and the members are going, I don't like that way, we should be going this way, we're never going to get anywhere. Or if we do get somewhere, it's backwards, right? So responsive members follow their pastor's leadership. And the second exhortation here that I find from this verse for the responsive member is that they make their pastor's work a joy. They make their pastor's work a joy. You see that in the second half of verse 17. Let them do this, that is, the soul watching and accountability keeping. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. <laughs> not with groaning. I think of how Moses was, must have been wearied by the complaints and gripes of the people of Israel after he led them out of Egypt, right? Why did you lead us out here to starve? At least we had food back in Egypt. You know, like, there's no appreciation, no respect. That has to be wearying, right? You can hear Moses groaning, Lord, these people are so hard to lead, right? It's possible for the work of a pastor to be groaning work, to be grieving work. But that's not what he calls us to here. Let them do this with joy. Well, how do you do that? How can you make the work of your pastors a joy? Let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, pray for us. I'm actually going to point you to the very next verse. That's the next command in verse 18. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Verse 19, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. There's a particular context in which he's writing that. The author here is hoping to be re reconciled, reunited again with, with this congregation. And so he expects if you'll pray, right, if you'll earnestly pray, then the Lord will perhaps answer that prayer and we'll be reunited sooner. But the point is, the importance of prayer for your pastors can hardly be overstated. We need the strength and wisdom of God himself to faithfully carry out our duties. So, plead with God on our behalf that he would give them generously. Pray for your pastors. And if I may be so bold, pray for your own heart toward your pastors. Pray that God would grant you a humble, responsive posture toward our guidance and instruction. Pray that both of these dynamics would be working properly. Pray for us. Another way you can make your pastor's work a joy, listen to us. Doesn't mean we're always right. Doesn't mean if I say jump, you say hi, hi. But be eager to hear and respond to God's word. Take our counsel seriously. Now, when it comes to the preaching of the word and the place of the word corporately in the life of the church, this has been among the most obvious virtues of Crosspoint Fellowship to me from the beginning of my time here. Uh, it's a delight to preach to you because it's clear that you delight to hear God's word. So in, a, in, a, in this space, I may be saying, like Paul said to the Thessalonians, as you are doing, excel all the more. Make your pastor's work a joy when you listen, when you delight to receive God's word, and when you hear counsel with openness and humility. Another way to make your pastor's work a joy is be honest with us. Here's what I mean by that. We can only know you, 
right? That's the charge of a pastor to wa watching over souls starts with knowing you. We can only know you if you give us the real you. An elder may ask a probing question, you know, about the condition of your spiritual life or how you're feeling about your connection with the church. And if you give us pat answers or half-hearted responses, or you kind of keep back your real thought because you don't want to be rude or whatever, it's impossible for us to know you in the way that our soul-watching work requires. So honestly, just tell us the truth. Be honest with us. And then the final uh, encouragement I give you here on how to make your pastor's work a joy is give us grace. Give us grace. We are fallible men, and we're not perfect shepherds. We will get it wrong sometimes, and we need your patience and understanding. Just as the Holy Spirit is still sanctifying and equipping you in your roles, he's still sanctifying and equipping us too. So let them do this, this soul-watching work, with joy and not with groaning. Why? Because that would be of no advantage to you. It would not be to your advantage for your pastor's work to be groaning work or grieving work. Your pastor's joy is to your spiritual advantage. One of the best things you can do for your own spiritual health and growth is to seek to make your pastor's work a joy to them. English pastor Jeremy Walker says this, it will not prosper you if they, that is the pastors, must go always striving uphill, if they must always contend with disdain or pressure or suspicion or a dismissive spirit. So receive these men as Christ's gifts. Understand that they're watching out for your souls and have toward them an attitude that enables them to serve with joy to your present and eternal gain. Both of these things have to be working right, right. In order for a church to be healthy, there must be pastors and leaders who are rightly carrying out these duties of attentively watching out for your souls and aware that we will give an account and the members, the, the sheep of that flock under the care of those shepherds must respond to that leadership and, and, and follow the, the leadership of their pastors. And uh, I lost it. And to make their pastors work a joy. That's what I meant. All of these things have to be happening in order for a church to be healthy, right? Leadership and following of leadership, led and leadable, taught and teachable. We need both of these components in order for our church to remain and to grow healthy and fruitful for Christ. Now, I hope that you can see clearly your shepherd's care, your chief shepherd's care for you in the way he's arranged his churches to operate in ensuring that his sheep are entrusted to the active, attentive, courageous, compassionate care of pastors, he has demonstrated his abiding love for you and his unswerving devotion to your spiritual well-being. 
in this age and in the age to come. Indeed, Jesus Christ himself is the good shepherd. If you wanted to flip to John chapter 10, I'm going to land and end here. Listen to his self-description. This is Jesus speaking of his own identity and, and ministry to his people. He says in verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus Christ is the shepherd who gave up his own life for the well-being of his sheep. He's the one who went to the cross of Calvary to bear our sins and our punishment upon himself so that his flock might be safe. When we were ravaged by the enemy, when we were in danger, Jesus, our shepherd, bore everything in himself, sacrificing his own life so that we might find in him life and indeed abundant life. Just one verse earlier, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, if you haven't entrusted your soul to this good shepherd, it's not too late. Today, you can turn your heart in repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ. And indeed, he will welcome you as one of his own, one of the sheep of his flock for whom he gave his life. And to those who belong to Jesus Christ, who are sheep in his sheepfold, receive his love, receive his care, receive his attentive watchfulness over you that he has placed you in a local flock and entrusted you to the care of shepherds who will watch over your souls. Let's pray together.